Welcome to another Know My Faith Monday podcast. Uh, Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. That's no, a pleasure. Thanks you so are much. assistant pastor at Riverbend? I am, yeah. Okay, what does that mean for you? Well, I, I, I don't know. I just love to serve at the church. It's uh, meant a lot for, for me to be here and to be asked to fill that role is just a real privilege. So it's, um, yeah, just a pastoral role. And Did you do the, like, come up through the youth group and youth leader and all of those sorts of things or have you come um, in from outside? I probably came in from outside so I um, you know probably about maybe 15 years ago 12 years ago um, our church holds a, an annual Bible conference mm -hmm. and so I think my parents were coming up to that and they said I should come up there's some good good preaching and teaching and I kind of reluctantly came up but uh, listened and and you know that just changed my world so hearing these guys the way they would uh, handle the word of God and um teach the word of God accurately, I think something just resonated in me and, um, you know, we could we could just tell that's what we weren't getting and uh, we, we just we just grew. So there was a time for us that we just learned and I didn't know what expository teaching was, you know, that people would yeah. open the Bible and explain what it means. So, so that meant a lot to us. So we've really, um, when I say we, I mean my wife and, yeah. and family now, we, um, we've just grown up in the church. We love it. We've learned so much and then... Um, I worked, um, my background's in architecture, and I had a little business, and um, part of working for yourself is you can decide what you do with your time, and I'd get up in the mornings and just read, and so for 10 years or so, I was just reading theology and, yeah. you know, and enjoying that just as a, as a just something fun to do, um, and then, you know, a few years ago, the, um, the elders asked if I'd like to serve in the church in this role, and and so that wasn't something That's I was That's a good biblical way, the, el for. the elders asked. Yeah, they did. Yep. Um, and so they, I think I got a phone call one day. Um, they just had an elders meeting. They were looking for, for someone to fill that role. And they asked if I had any desire. And I, and I said, well, yes, I, I do. But I hadn't told anyone. I hadn't even told my <laughs> wife, you know. So, um, But it was, it was it was a nice yep. way for it to work out. You know, I couldn't see how, um, you know, that would be feasible. Um, but for the church to ask and then to have their support and, and that was just a really nice way to, to feel affirmed that that was yeah. what God is calling me to do as well. So you'd have to be very careful with the, with the answer and I'll be very careful with the question. You said that you, you came here for the conference, you heard teaching like you'd never heard before and realised you weren't getting it at your home church. Yeah. How did that make you feel about the teaching or the teachers that you were getting at your home church? You know, I probably need to be a little careful because... Uh, when I look back, I'm not sure um, if I was born again as a young child. I've grown up in a Christian home, yep. never really denied the faith. And that, that moment of conversion sometimes a hard thing to put your it's, finger on. It's a blurry on. line, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. And so I think for me, I, I look back and I'm like, maybe I was born again. Maybe, you know, God really changed my life from the inside at that point. Um, maybe when I was younger, I'm not, not too sure. But um, so it could be. You know, it could be partly on me. You know, you know, you've got ears, but you don't hear. Um, yeah. But I know that at that point when we came up here, we we started hearing teaching that was, um, you know, just wonderful, really. Yeah. Eh? So yeah. It, it really, just, really deep and, and opening up the Bible, and, and you go, oh, I've never just, seen that man, before. Man, I, I remember sitting around as we'd have a Bible study with a group of friends just before we came up to one of the conferences, and um, I think we were sitting around just as teenagers looking at one passage of scripture and in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and, and saying, what does it mean to be uh, poor in spirit? And I think we you heard different people in the room say, oh, it means you can be um, uh, you can be rich, but you've just kind of got a poor attitude like, to money. <laughs> and, and I remember sitting there thinking like, you know, I, I, I don't think that's what that's, it means. I'm pretty sure like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, so, and I think that kind of summarized my whole Christian life. The, the Bible was just a book of riddles and you kind of like had these things, but you couldn't, you could kind of get a sense for what it didn't mean. Yeah. Uh, and then when we came up to the conference, you know, we heard a, one of the pastors was teaching through Matthew chapter 5, and he taught on what it means to be poor in spirit that, you know, he would just use cross-references and show, like, this, this means that you're spiritually bankrupt, that there's nothing spiritually or in your righteousness that you can present to God. Um, that, that as human beings, and, and you recognise it, and and the thing, yeah, and it, and it's like, and you know, I saw that, and you know, that game of charades where you you sort yeah. of like, that's it, that's it. Yeah. I remember sitting there going, this guy knows how to explain the Bible, and uh, so that was just wonderful, and it became um, uh, appetitive or addictive. You know, it was yeah. uh, you get an appetite for it, and you just want more and more. Yeah. So, yeah, you do. so that was that was fun, you know, to to look back yeah. and 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 to. 
enjoy that. I was talking to uh, Matthew in a previous podcast. Interesting, we've got this book here that you've um, brought along. So, so you run a bookshop at the at the church? Do you run the bookshop? I don't run it. I don't work day to day in the shop. I'm uh, one of the um, there's a the board of directors. Um, so there's a board, um, and I'm on the board. So we, um, yeah, just involved. So, so the, so the church has a yeah. bookshop. So the, this one is uh, Sinners in the Hands of a Good God. That's right. And yeah. we were talking with Matthew and Phil from uh, from up in Napier. Yeah. Um, about the original um, Jonathan Edwards sermon, Sinners in the Hands of a Wrathful God. Or an angry God, yeah, uh, yeah. So I was, I was looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, t- tell me about Sinners in the Hands of a Good God. What's the... Yeah. Because uh, well, immediately I'm thinking, that I don't like that. I like the wrathful God side. Well, I think obviously it, it can have a certain connotation to think of God just as an angry God. Um, and But th- there's a certain theology that Jonathan Edwards held to with a high view of the sovereignty of God. Um, and and so the, but I think that book, you know, there's I guess people have these two different conceptions of God as being this loving, merciful yeah. grandfather in the heaven that just lets you get away with everything, and and then this this God who with the hammer, that, the judge yeah, with the hammer, yeah. you know, yeah. talks about judgment and hell and these sorts of things, yeah. and and so I think it takes um, it's actually quite a nice book for a a younger person just wrestling through what what the, what picture they have of God in their head. Um, and, and sort of takes them through a, a sentimental view of God, and it just slowly shows them some of Edwards' uh, rich theology and how. Oh, so them. he obviously references Edwards a bit. Yeah, and so he re- yeah. references Edwards, and he actually holds him up as an example and, and sort of shows you, because uh, I think that gives a caricature of this yeah. um, Bible-thumping, you know, angry guy running around. It's similar it, to yeah. when you, um, if you don't know the actual story of Jonathan Edwards and that famous sermon. Mm. You can do that. That's right. If yeah. you don't know the actual God of the Bible, yeah. you can take that sinners in the hands of a wrathful God or an angry God yeah. the wrong way. Yeah. It's possibly what Klotfeld is trying to... It's probably a lot more readable too than uh, Winky Prattney's Nature and Character of God, which which does a similar thing ah, yeah. looking at the two sides. But Winky's book's about this thick. It's no, a, well, this, that is a nice read. It's... Um, and so I think it's a good book for a teenager or someone sort of university level that's just starting to engage with, you know, reading uh, and then learning in that sense uh, about the Christian faith. And it's at a nice level to to get a, a mature view on on the, the character and attributes of God. Yeah. So do you find that uh, with a lot of Christians that they don't understand the those two sides of God, the the holiness side and the love? Because so, the Bible says God is love. Yeah. But in Isaiah, the cherubim aren't flying around the throne singing, love, all love, we love. need is love, love, love. Yeah. They're singing holy, holy, holy. And I've found that there's a, even amongst mature Christians, there's a lack of understanding of how those two work together. Yeah, I think the, the character of God is hard to fully grasp. And I think some of those things seem at such, you know, such odds and opposites to have a, a God who is, um, yeah, that, that upholds things like justice and he will, has to punish sin. And a God who's merciful and gracious and, and forgiving sin. Um, and you know, it makes me think of that verse, how can God be just and the justifier of the ungodly? How can he punish sin and be just and let people away with yeah. sin? And both those things, you know, the Bible says they're abhorrent to God. Um, and so reconciling those things is is um, fun to do. But I think, you know, the, the Puritans used to talk about the being of God um, as being as God being a simple being, which is not a simple concept to understand, but all of his attributes uh, are just one thing. And so um, they would talk about God being like a pure white light and white light obviously containing all the colours within the colors, it. Yeah. And so it was just this one pure white light, which is the being and nature of God. And then if you got a, a prism and let God shine through it, you'd get the rainbow refracting of all the different colors of the yeah. rainbow. And, and so uh, God as he is, is this pure white light, this one um, perfectly resolved being. All of his attributes are perfectly balanced and reconciled. But to mankind, he displays himself as red, blue, green, which is his justice, his love, his mercy, yeah. and, and the full spectrum of God's attributes. And so we can only kind of stomach them in bite-sized pieces. Yeah. And, and realizing that, that, that there's, a, there's a multiplicity of green as well. 
Yeah, and I, it's not just one green; it's multiple greens inside that. And the more you get yeah, into God, yeah, exactly. And so, like, there's we we just see these little tiny facets that are revealed to us in Scripture, and so we understand a tiny bit about God at one time, and so we see it as justice and mercy. Um, but we do start to see in the gospel and in what Christ has done, particularly on the cross, as the climax of of so many things in the Christian faith, is where you see all of God's attributes meeting at the cross. And so you see his severe justice where he has to punish sin, uh, being poured out by God the Father on God the Son to punish him as if he committed the sin of all those who would believe in him. And at the same time, that's the center of God's mercy and love uh, where he's now able to forgive and he's able to pardon sinners um, because the punishment has been paid in Christ. And so you see, I guess, in the gospel, a beautiful reconciliation Mm. of, of those attributes coming together. And so, yeah, it is. It's not making God one or the other, uh, which I think is common for us to do. Um, Well, you look at Richard Dawkins, you know, he says the goal of the Old Testament is this da-da-da. The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. There is no difference between the two gods. There's that that difference in revelation. And I suppose in some ways it's, um, what do they talk about, progressive revelation where where Mm. God reveals more and more and more of himself. Yeah, that's Uh, right, throughout history. Yeah, yeah, and, and so it's... It's incumbent upon us to actually delve into the revelation that he shows us. Yeah. You know, I mean, to me, I think anyone who thinks, you know, there are religions around where you have to work your way, and even within Christendom, there are those that say that, you know, you've got to do this and this and this to pay for your sins. Any, mm. any religion that doesn't understand that Jesus is the only one that could pay for our sins doesn't understand the holiness of God. Mm. We can look at Jesus on the cross yeah. and look at his love. But unless you understand the holiness of God, you don't understand the fullness of that sacrifice. No, I'm teaching tomorrow morning in a passage in Romans chapter 10, and and it talks about Israel's unbelief, that they they didn't believe in Christ. They stumbled at the stumbling stone at the end of Romans chapter 9. And then in chapter 10, it talks about um, their unbelief and gives some more detail. And it says um, in a verse, I think it's 2 or 3, not knowing the righteousness of God. and seeking to establish their own. Mm. And so what what it, what it means is that not knowing about God's righteousness, not knowing about his holiness, his, his high standard, his perfect, um, you know, his requirement that we have to be perfect. So not knowing about his standard of righteousness, they set a lower bar and they tried to keep it themselves. Uh, and so I think, yeah, one thing is to understand what Christ has done for us is to really, first of all, start by understanding God's character, mm. his utter holiness, that he cannot look upon iniquity uh, and that he calls us to be holy. He says, be holy as I am holy. And we can't do it. Yeah, I think that, and then, that, and then, then, yeah. your, then your standard of righteousness is at the right level. And then we realize we can't do it no matter. That, that's yeah. the whole thing. I think the, the, the Jews in those days, and the, the Pharisees, and they, they tried to set it as high as they could. Yeah. Recognizing in their mind the holiness of God. Yeah but not understanding, as Paul says, how righteous the righteousness of God yeah. is. And so that was, they they uh, yeah. wanted to set it as high as possible. Mm. Okay, we need to set our bar this really, really high, and we need to try and achieve that. And God's going, you, haven't, yeah. you have no idea. You can't, you know. John Calvin has a beautiful little illustration. He says, again, it's with, with the expression of black and white or white. And he says, you know, God's holiness is like pure white. Just, just absolute pure white, and mankind as sinners are pure black. We're just, we're, I mean, we're not as bad as we could be sometimes, but in comparison, yep. like we're black and he's white. And uh, a man, even a Pharisee, who has the highest level of human righteousness that you could attain, the most religious person in the world, Calvin says it's as if they're a, a shade of dark brown. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so yeah, they set their level. Yeah, so and, when you go into the still, colors on, on, yeah. on your computer, it goes, you know, 80% black, near 60% black. Yeah. yeah. It's still black. And so the thing is, we, we're still miles from the standard of God's perfection and holiness. Yeah. To me, that's what you find in Leviticus with the, with the law. Um, yeah. Is if you, to, again, to me, if you read it correctly, this yeah. is God saying, this is what you would have to achieve to even come close to my holiness. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And you yeah. read it and you go, I can't do that. Yeah. And God goes, now you got the point. Yeah, now you right. got the point. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that one of the one of the problems with uh, I think with the modern church is that we have because uh, you mentioned Israel there, we, we've thrown away an awful lot of the well, we've thrown away the Tanakh basically, the whole of the Old Testament, and we concentrate on the on the Gospels and the writings of Paul. Yes, we're more comfortable there we're in a sense. Yeah, um, but God chose to reveal Himself through 
uh, well, not just through the nation of Israel, because you go back to, 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 to the, uh, the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, and he's, he's, yeah. he's re- progressively revealing more and more of himself yeah, and his plan right. yeah. through these different covenants in the Bible. And I think it's almost like a, a snowball in a sense where God gives us these tiny little hints and they develop into ideas and they sort of snowball into a clearer concept. And then in the New Testament, we start to get some real clarity as, as who God is and what he's doing. Um, and so, yeah, I think the biblical narrative does run through that. And you see something as simple as, um, you know, the, in the fall and, and when Adam and Eve sinned and mankind is plunged into sin, thrown out of the garden and God's presence. Um, you see that, that that first situation there was man, a man, Adam, who failed at keeping God's law, even just one simple commandment. One simple command. And he yep. couldn't do it, so he, he failed. And then you see... Uh, you know, as, as the narrative continues with Israel grows in, and I think the Bible talks about Israel as my son. And so there's a, another son and the law gets given, the, you know, the Mosaic covenant comes down and, and, and so you have God's son again failing at God's law. Yep. And then you have in the Gospel of Luke, you start to see Christ who is, um, who is the son the of son. God. And so you start to get some clarity and he doesn't fail. He, he keeps God's law. He fulfills it perfectly. Um, and so we see those sort of, and that times, you know, multiple different ideas and concepts coming through, sort of develop and unfold as you, as you walk through the, the Bible. Is it easy yeah. for somebody to understand that if they don't get teaching on it today? I mean, just, Do you know what? To, if they don't get teaching, no way. It's, um, you know, they're, they're sitting there. And they're asking, you know, how do we, who, who will show me these things? <laughs> you're and, like the Ethiopian uh, yeah, eunuch, yeah. yeah. How am I supposed I've to got, understand I've got this, this book in front of me, I think it was Isaiah, wasn't it? How do I? We, we miss so much. Um, I spent, my wife and I spent uh, six weeks in Israel a few years ago. Mm. And it was my sabbatical break as a pastor. And mm. um, one of my friends over there, Israel Harrell, is a, is a great teacher. And I wanted to go and understand, particularly learn about the sacrifices. Right. Because like, we have no idea. We think, you know, put the cow on the altar, <laughs> turns to charcoal. Yeah. Um, so, but the thing is, you know, sometimes you partake as the offerer, you partake of the meat and sometimes the priest's take some of the meat. and oh, um, So I wanted to understand that. I wanted to understand the table of showbread. Yeah. What the heck is all that about? Well, you, you can know? tell me. You know? Well, I can't. Actually, it was real. I don't know. You know the name Maimonides, the, the great Jewish teacher Maimonides, and I think he was about like 500 AD or something. Right. And what Israel said to me, he says, even Maimonides didn't know. So I thought, oh, if the great sage didn't know. Yeah. But so I, I'm sitting down with Israel, and um, he says, well, Surely you understand eating as part of worship? No. That's what I said. Yeah. I said, I said yeah. no. He says, well, maybe it's you. I said, bro, <laughs> I'm like 57 years old. I grew up in the church. I've been in a dozen different denominations. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, wow. But for him as a Jew, mm. eating as part of worship is just natural. He doesn't need, in, in context of the Ethiopian eunuch, he doesn't need anyone to explain this Isaiah s- scripture to him mm. because that's part of his history. But today we're so far removed from this, the, the foundations of our faith yeah. in, in Judaism, yeah. in the Old Testament, that to have, you have to have almost everything explained to you. Yeah. No, I've even spent the last week working out the meaning of uh, probably four passages, Romans 10 verse 5 to 8, and it quotes a passage in Deuteronomy, and it's taken me a week to slowly work through (laughs) and to work out how he's quoting it and what he's doing. Why? Because the passage in Deuteronomy, trying to understand that text in its own context and what it meant, we're trying to bridge that gap. Because chapter 10, Romans, that's in the middle of the passage where Paul is saying, I haven't, God hasn't done with Israel at all. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is another thing that the modern church thinks that God has. Yeah, a lot of people do, and so I guess, yeah, it probably is. Yeah, it's hard to know whether that's a minority view or not, um, but it's um, definitely got different different ideas surrounding it. But, um, yeah, it does. It does. It comes back to how you understand those biblical covenants. So yeah. um, what were the promises made? You know, what, what were they? Who were they made to? And well, how were they playing out let, in history? Let's, yeah. let's talk about those because... Um, Covenant, I mean, it's called covenant theology, theology yeah. being the study of God. Yeah. Um, and so this is the study of God and his covenants is yeah. I would suggest that the, the modern Christian has no idea 
Yeah, you're probably right. What we're talking right. about with I the covenant. So what are the covenants? So the covenants are God's promises, essentially, or, or you know, you could call them their oath-bound promises where God... Uh, you can even think of it as, in the most simple sense, as we have covenants in the in the world that we live in. We have a marriage covenant mm-hmm. that binds the relationship between a husband and a wife. Um, and so, when we when we're married, we're, we're going to love each other so long as we both shall live. There's an oath. There's a formal ceremony that that binds that relationship together. Or you could think of an employment contract. You know, your job is there's certain things locked in place and held by that covenant. Yep. And so we see in the Bible that. Um, you know, God has dealt with mankind by way of covenants. Um, and so when he made promises to Abraham, like right at the beginning, um, you could even talk about how God related to Adam in the garden. Uh, he made promises to Noah, uh, to Moses. Um, you know, and so even what we, on, on Sundays when we do celebrate communion or take communion, we're, we're, we're partaking in what's called the new covenant. Mm. Um, so they... Uh, it's like a structural layer of understanding the Bible, just as a spine would hold our body together and give it some shape and form. Yeah. Uh, the covenants are like the spine of the Bible that you can, when you understand them, you can make a lot of progress. So people will often get confused as they're reading an Old Testament text. You know, it might be talking about God promising them, uh, you know, having lots of children or their fields are going to grow and. Um, different blessings. Or the, or the great like one that. where you always steal Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. You know, I yeah, know the plans, plans I have yeah, for yeah. you. Yeah. Well, let's look yeah. at that in context yeah. of the covenant that yeah. God actually made with the people He was talking to. And at even that time. like things like some churches take things like generational curses, and they're they're saying, look, it's there, it's in the text. Um, but understanding that as part of the Mosaic covenant, which was what regulated that relationship with them and God at that time. Um, God promised them blessing in the land that they were living in, that their crops would grow if they obeyed, and they, they were promised curses if they disobeyed. Yeah. But that was part of the mosaic arrangement. You know, that's not something that you can just take and then extrapolate into um, our new covenant relationship with God and say, "Man, my tomatoes are going to grow so well. I've been really obedient this week." Um, <laughs> yeah. But, so, but, so, so you can. Yeah. Who was the covenant? I mean, we missed that. There's. There's two types of covenants. There's the the unconditional covenant, yeah. where God said, which is I suppose similar to the marriage covenant. Unconditional. Right? I, I will love love you anyway, right? Yeah. Sickness or poorness or whatever, I'm going to yeah, love you. So, so God yeah. says, this is my covenant with you, irrespective of what you do. Yeah, I will do this. Then there is the conditional covenant, which is the if. Yeah, you know, that's right. And we, I love people. People throw around the word, you know, Jehovah Rophe, you know, God our healer. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Read the whole verse because the first letter, the first word in that verse is if. if. Yeah, it's a big word. If you obey yeah. me and do all the things, like, then I will be your healer. I'll be your Jehovah Rapha. Yeah. Then if. Yeah. Um, the Mosaic Covenant, it's an, it's, it's an if. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, I mean, so that you're right, the conditional elements. So, if you think of the Abrahamic Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, and the New Covenant as um, three major covenants, if you try to get your head around them, uh, you can you can make a lot of progress in understanding the Bible, and so when God promised Abraham, uh, He made a covenant with him, and um, you know in Genesis 15 you see the covenant ceremony, and so the and way that was it, unconditional. Yeah, it was irrespective. It was of, an of unconditional, India. and so you'll see Him saying, "I will." I think in Genesis 12, "I will bless," "I will make," "I will do." The seven I wills. And yeah, yeah and then so you have um, you know the, the the animals are cut in half, and Abraham's asleep, or well, God passes through, and so He's He's cutting the covenant. He's making a unilateral covenant where He is going to do. Yeah. And so the Bible says God made God, He gave a promise to Abraham, and He made it more sure by a, an oath or a covenant. Um, and so God has that's a, a covenant of promise where God will do. And then you see in the Mosaic covenant uh, when when Israel as a nation comes out from Egypt, they come to Mount Sinai and God enters into another covenant with them. Um, the covenant ceremony is very different where there's two people, uh, I think it's in Exodus 24, mm-hmm. 
and they take the blood, they sprinkle it on the people, they sprinkle it on the altar, and the people hear the reading of the law, all the stipulations, all the rules, and the and the people say all the things we have heard, we will do, and we, we will agree. be obedient. Yep. And sign on the, and, on the bottom and so line. So there's two parties. So rather than a unilateral, it's a bilateral covenant where these two parties are bound. Um, by way of if or condition, if they do this, there'll be blessings, and if they don't, there'll be curses. And so that's a different type of covenant. And it, and it matters because when you think of our salvation, even in the new covenant with God, is it a conditional covenant or an unconditional covenant? If it's conditional, it means it's our salvation or our relationship with God is based on what we do, and it's based on our work. So if we are good enough, um, so imagine if the, the new covenant was, if you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you can have salvation. And it's like, that's, yeah. that's not a, a great covenant for us to be part of. But if it's an unconditional one, you know, simply by receiving and believing and trusting in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us, um, then all the blessings of the mm. covenant are, uh, are just unconditionally given to us. I think there's so much yeah. misunderstanding on that. The, the, the law... Um, and the giving of the law to Moses, you know, the, the, the nation of Israel is for us is, you know, the Bible says it's, it's for us to learn. It's a type for us to look at. Yeah. You say, okay, we know that Passover was a type foreshadowing the, the, the Passover, yeah. the lamb. Yeah. So that was our salvation from Egypt, the world. Yeah. Uh, the Bible tells us that passing through the Red Sea is a, a symbol of our uh, baptism. Mm. So we're saved at Passover, we're baptized through the Red Sea. It's a whole 50 days later that the law, the covenant is made. You're already saved and baptized. And they're given the law and, and told you to walk in so it. The, yeah. So the law was never yeah. there for salvation. And, in and the you first do, place. you see that layer of uh, pattern and typology. So, particularly in the Mosaic covenant, you see those pictures, you know, that all the sacrifices mm. representing a truer reality. And, and one thing to understand when Moses went up Mount Sinai, is a key statement that God says to him. So in the book of Leviticus, they get all the instructions, how to build the tabernacle, how to build the, you know, all the different bits and pieces and the curtains and the, the, the decorations on all the, all the bits and pieces. And, um, and, it, and it says, see that you make them according to the pattern that I've shown you on the mountain. And so everything was a pattern or a type of the reality. It wasn't that yeah. true thing. And so they do become very useful for us. Um, to hear what the New Testament says, to see the picture, almost like an illustration, and with all of that, we can really so even in the Old Testament, yeah. God was using parables. Yeah, I, guess you know, you I mean, could the say parables that, yeah. are the word pictures to help us understand. We yeah. all do it, yeah. you know. We all do yeah. it when we're trying to explain something. But when you get a good one, they're so clear, you know. Yeah. You, you, it does help a lot yeah. to, to have a good. How do the covenants fit in with the the other word that uh, that people don't understand is dispensations, and I know dispensationalism yeah. is is. Uh, a misunderstood, and it's mm. also very, very um, uh, creates a chasm between two sides. Yeah, that's right. So, do, do the covenants line up with the dispensations of God? Well, I, you could think of it that way, but traditionally, like dispensationalism was a, a type of theology that would, um, rather than focusing purely on the covenants, they would focus on dispensations or, or sections of time. What is a time. dispensation? And so you might think of the time of the giving of the law to Moses up until the period where Christ came as a, as a period of time where they lived under you know, the Mosaic covenant. So there might be a, a dispensation or you might think so of... Dispense the law, to, to, to give dispense and give the law... I think it's for that period of time. But yeah, I think the focus more is on these periods of okay. time. And so they broke the Bible down into into sections of time. So before the fall, after the fall, before the law, after the law, you know, after Christ, you know, I think they'd have a millennial one and, and the eternal state. So they'd they'd even argue over how many dispensations there were. But that was a way that they tried to um, understand what was going on in the scriptures. Um, and covenant theology would be more focused on seeing the, the idea of covenant as, you know, the undergirding thing that's more helpful for us to understanding the Bible. But I think obviously those on a, and my background, it would be more from a dispensational perspective, but we still um, love the covenants and see the importance yeah. of them. Um, and so I, I think a, a guy called S. Lewis Johnson, a Bible teacher, he said, that the biblical covenants are the common property of all believers. And I think that's a nice way to think of yeah. it. You know, you don't, you don't necessarily have to 
uh, think one way or the other. Um, but understanding those covenants is really key to how to how God does it. And there's a sense in which it's sort of going through history at the same time. You know, you're, you're seeing yeah. the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the New Covenant, or the Davidic covenant. And, 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 yeah, well, and, and, and the Davidic, because the Davidic yeah. covenant. So the thing is, is when you when you don't delve into it, mm. um, and the hard part I think is that. Yeah, people go, is this a salvation issue, Rob? Mm. Well, it helps us understand it, salvation. You know, I think it yeah. comes back to what you said about the, what you first said about the conference that you came to here at Riverbend. Yeah. Is it just opened your eyes to what was actually in the scripture that yeah. you hadn't seen before? Yeah. And I think when we understand the covenants and, and the way God works, you go, ah, and it just lifts them up, makes them, makes yeah. them greater and greater. Yeah. Um, but the, the new covenant, God says, I will make a new covenant with Israel and with Judah. Right. So and we, we, th we, we throw around the term, the new yeah. covenant, you know, Jesus' blood and this is my yeah. you know, blood, the new covenant. And you go, well, hang on. If this is the new covenant that God talked about mm. in Jeremiah, yeah. it's a covenant with Israel and Judah. Not, it's not a covenant with the Gentiles. That's right. And so I guess we, um, and, and probably a more dispensational understanding, um, one of their quirks that probably stood out from some of the other Reformed positions would be, uh, the way they understand the people of Israel. So whether the God stops working with them as such as an ethnic group and, and it sort of just grows into a more fuller picture of, of the church and, and God's not working in that way anymore. Or you can look at the Bible and see how God made certain promises to a certain people and he has to fulfill the promises that he's said to them in terms yeah. of land, seed, blessing, the different parts of that that covenant promise. To those people. Yeah, to those people. And if you come to the New Testament and God, by his pure grace, wants to include Gentiles in, in these blessings as well, and you'll notice in the New Testament it says we also, or we're joint heirs. Yeah. Um, and so there's a sense in which we've been grafted into these promises, which God is perfectly able to do, to bless us in, in the way that he's promised he would to them. But, but that doesn't negate or take away the fact that God will still keep his promises to the people that he made. And he them must to. because yeah. of his word. I was thinking of that the other day when I saw a rainbow in the sky. And it just, you know, God mm. says, when I see the rainbow, I'll remember, you know, remind me not to destroy the world again yeah. with a flood. And I go, does that mean that God never wants to destroy the world with a flood again? I go, no, it doesn't mean that. Said it, what what said it means it is I, yeah, yeah. I can't, I'd really like to just wipe you the filth <laughs> off this planet and cleanse yeah. it again. Yeah. But I made a promise, yeah, and I don't break my word. And yeah. I, to, to me, when you read the Bible and understand that, you're in the '70s. I don't know, if you're a bit younger than me, but in the '70s there was this this yeah, saying around that um, there's nothing God loves more than you. There's nothing, God right? And you go, me. well, no, actually, He loves His word more than me, His yeah. name more than me, and it shows that all the way through the Bible. And I will do this for my name's sake, for yeah. my name's sake. I said I would never wipe the world out with a flood again. Mm. Therefore, I won't do it. Um, there's a guy, Howard Bass, uh, a, a congregational leader in Besheva in Israel. Right. And uh, he said, when I talked to him, uh, he goes, you know, what does God say? He says, if, if I break my covenant with day and night, yeah, that's then right. I'll break my covenant with Israel. I made, right. a, I made a promise. Yeah. And, and, so and I, to, I hold to my yeah. promises. And so you have to either redefine what Israel is and somehow the church becomes Israel or, or you let God be faithful to what he said. And, and that's what's at stake. It's the faithfulness of God. Yeah. Um, so it isn't just a small thing. It's, uh, it's the character of God that's um, at stake. And so, yeah, my view, and I believe is the biblical view, is that when you get to the end of chapter 11 in the book of Romans, and that, so that section of 9 to 11 is addressing that question, you know, Israel... Has large, God has, done with Israel yeah. and replaced Israel with the church? Yeah, and, yeah, and so He's rejected. You know, they've come and he, they have at large rejected the who, their Messiah. They haven't believed in Christ, and so it would appear at surface value that, that God's finished with them. Um, but you know, and I think it's verse eleven twenty eight. It, it speaks of another uh, covenantal relationship in the sense that um, a, you know that these Jews, these Israelites, are enemies of the gospel. So they're outside of the gospel. They haven't believed the gospel, but they're beloved on account of their fathers. And there's there's still a sense in which God has that covenantal uh, relationship and promise with these people that are enemies of the gospel. And 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 verse eleven twenty eight there 
that, that speaks of those two things being simultaneously true at the same time. Yeah. And so, yeah, we understand that, that there will be a future restoration and, and salvation for a, a large number of Jewish people in a, in a time to come. So he will fully fulfill the word that he spoke it, to them. It's the point of trust me, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, and I yeah. think if, unless you're reading the whole scriptures, unless you continually, yeah. Because I mean, you said before you you started you go for the sermon for tomorrow, mm. and you come across this passage, you go, "Darn, I need to, I need to." It's you know, been a tough week. Andy yeah. needs to read more yeah. on this, you yeah. know. So it's, um, I mean, but the Bible, man, it's such a, it is, it's such a big book, you know. There's, it's just, it's, it's never going to be exhausted in a lifetime. No. Um, but you know what it is? I think I think of Pilgrim's Progress. You know, there's, you know, he's going along through his journey and he's carrying his load on his back, and he comes to interpret his house, and uh, that's obviously the, the the person that teaches the the word of God, and and that's an important step in somebody's life, um, to sit under good sound Bible teaching, mm. um, and and you you can't get you can't grow in the Christian faith without um, having God's word taught and explained, and so that's just a a uh, simple practical thing that people can do um, in a technical sense you'd say that's one of the means of grace one of the, the ways in which God yeah. uh, blesses and helps his people is, is the preaching and, and teaching of the word I would put God. it even further that uh, and this is one of my big bugbears mm. is um, you can receive the best teaching around but if you don't put it into practice mm. it's going to do nothing yeah, well, that um, like, yeah. And, and I used to preach a message called "Fat Baby Christians." Yeah, and it was basically it was based <laughs> the on the cows of Bashan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was like I think I've been reading the Atkins diet at the time, but yeah. it's like spiritual carbohydrates. We're, we're we're coming along. We're listening to Andy's sermon. We're uh, reading a John MacArthur book. This we're watching a David Jeremiah DVD here. You know, yeah, we're listening to this spiritual music, reading our Bible. But I'm not actually doing anything, mm. and all that's happening is I'm just becoming a fat baby Christian. Yeah. Um, I think what what you were saying before about not getting good teaching in the pulpit, I think that is like uh, almost the hypnosis to keep us in yeah. that state. Mm. But even with the good teaching, we've got to take it further and go. How do I put that into practical? Mm. How do I actually do something? Yeah, as opposed you know, to just sit there on my backside. You know, it is. It's more than just information and theology and learning. But uh, that's why I, I love that word regeneration, because when God causes someone to be born again, it's a change in the heart, and your affections are just changed. You're a different person, and you you have a hunger and a drive within you. And I think um, I've used an illustration in our church a couple of times where um, there's there's different ways you can. You can be, I guess, and and you know, I remember when I was younger and I was dating my wife, and it's all exciting, you know. And um, but my dad here would ask me, he'd ask me to get some milk from the shop, and we lived a few minutes down from, away from the supermarket, and I would, um, I'd be like, I don't know, 17, 18 years old, and I'd be like, oh, I don't want to go down to the supermarket. What a, and I'd slowly stop what I was doing. I'm like, I'll go, but only because you're making me, you know. And yeah. I'd slowly get down there, get it. Anyway, uh, you know, time passed, and and. Jen, who's now my wife, was working down at the supermarket. She started working down there. And so I knew she was working down there one afternoon. And Dad says to me, he goes, oh, could you go and get me some butter? I need need butter to make dinner. And I was like, sure, Dad, I'm gone. You know, and I'm straight down there. <laughs> yep. And there's and, and your heart's changed, eh? Like there's, I mean, that's yeah. not, I, um, ideally I'd do that because I loved my dad and my relationship to him, him changed. Yeah. Yeah. But even in that illustration, you, you can see that, there's, when your heart's changed, your actions are affected. And so when God causes someone to be born again truly, he changes us at the level of our heart, which is our desires. And when your desires are craving and wanting different things, your your feet are following, if that makes sense. Yeah. The action is, yeah. there's a connection there that you don't have to try to whip up. And so we, we, um, we have, uh, you know, with Matthew, the other pastor here, and... Um, one way we like to think of the Christian faith, faith is, is your mind is first. Um, and when you have information, good teaching, good doctrine, it inflames your heart and then your infections are engaged and then your, your feet follow. So you, you have that, that whole comprehensive yeah. way in which the word of God is renewing your mind. Um, your affections are growing. You know, you're seeing more of the glory and majesty of God. You're seeing more of the beauty of Christ, who He is, what He's done for us, and and because 
that information changes your affections. You're naturally just living, yeah. you know. So, it is. It's, it, it's yeah. the renewing of your mind. Uh, my wife used to do this uh, wonderful uh, example when she was uh, doing Sunday school or beach missions and things. Mm. And she'd get a, a jar full of nice pure water. Yeah. And she'd just get a, get a coffee, a jar of coffee. Mm. And she'd be teaching about sin. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, you put a little bit of coffee in there and stir it around and it goes murky and then you yeah. put some more in and eventually it's just black. And you, you yeah. cannot, no matter what you do, you can't get that out of the jar of, yeah. of coffee yeah. until you get some pure water and you just keep pouring that pure water in and keep pouring and pouring and eventually the water becomes clean again. Mm. And our minds need to be renewed like that with the Word of yeah. God. But we keep putting all this other stuff in it. You know, mm. We haven't had a, a TV... Uh, we have a TV at home, but we use it for watching DVDs. And mm. yeah, uh, we haven't had a TV TV for years and years yeah. and years. And I didn't realise the impact on that on me until I was at church one day, and somebody said, "Oh, what do you think of the game?" Mm. And I'm going, "I don't watch TV." Okay, like it's that anymore. June, so it's either league or rugby. Yeah. I had no idea yeah. it was the Bledisloe Cup, apparently. Yeah, but because I didn't have a TV, sport no longer be became important to me. Because that's, you know, for, for a Kiwi, it's all over the, yeah, the TV, yeah. all over the news and everything. Um, and I think in our, in our Christian walk, because we're not filling, you know, and I talked about the old Atkins thing before, but because yeah. we're not renewing our minds with the things of yeah. God, we keep renewing it with the things of the world. Yeah. And so we're not then transformed. Yeah into wanting to do things for the Lord. Mm. Yeah, not that we do them to earn our salvation, but we do them out of mm. gratitude for our salvation. Mm. And I think when the, the, when, when the Word of God and the Gospel really comes alive for us, it, it, um, you know, the natural reaction in the Bible is that they, just like newborn babies, they, they hunger and thirst for the pure milk of the yeah. Word of God. There's this, they just want to be reading the Scriptures. There's, they just want to be feeding. They're constantly you know, hungry. And so I... It is, um, it is tough, you know, like that is a reality. There's a lot of people, uh, what are they, fat baby Christians? Fat baby Christians, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and, um, but you know what, I think, yeah, I do. I think pastors and teachers truly teaching and preaching the Word of God is, is lacking in our country, lacking in the world. It's and, not just, yeah, not and just that, that's a great need, yeah. you know, that's yeah. a great need to have people um, faithfully teaching the Word of God in a way that, um, you know, it means something to us. We 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 um, work hard to present it accurately, and and I think God blesses that, and God's people love that, and, and they're fed. And I think it's holding up God for who God is, and it goes back to that whole thing we were talking about with the book, the the the, the nature of God. You know, I like to say it, we need to come back to discovering what God is, mm. not just the who He is, mm. but what He is, and. Um, we've said many times in this podcast um, about Isaiah 6, yeah. where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up mm. and he sees what God is, mm. not just who he is. He sees what he is and he mm. goes, oh dear. Now he gets a sense of the, the majesty. Yeah, and he realizes yeah, yeah. out of that yeah. how sinful he is. Yeah. And then and the angel comes. That yeah. until you've yeah, seen yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, Peter does the same yeah. thing. Well, you know, in yeah. the beginning of Jesus' ministry, you know, yeah. it, it, the boat fills with fish, and Peter goes, Depart from yeah. me. I'm a, I just saw what you are, yeah. and I recognize my sinfulness. Mm. But with Isaiah, the angel comes, he gets the coal from the altar. Mm. He says, I've cleansed your lips, yeah. I've taken away your sin. And then God says, Who will I send? And Isaiah goes, You have to send me. Mm. But because in our modern church we haven't seen that, that majesty of God I think, and seeing yeah. that we haven't recognized my sinfulness, so I'm not interested in going. Yeah, and I think we focus so much on making church comfortable for people that um, you know we want people to come in here and get a sense that they're coming in to worship God, that there's a high view of God created, and, um, and yeah, and there's a true sense of worship when people come in, not, not just um, trivial things that we're comfortable with. You know, it's... Um, I think I we, we should be in, in church. But, we should be we should be comfortably yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, we, we should be comfortable with the people we are around. Yeah, and happy that this is my church family. But we should be uncomfortable with uh, how I'm expressing my faith. Mm. Mm. Am, yeah. am, am I? Because yeah, now, see, we get back into the whole thing when people start talking about salvation by works, which mm. it's not. But it's it's out of my faith. I want to do what I'm called to do. Mm. Um, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, yeah. right? 
And I say to so many people, so what is it that you're doing faithfully that God's going to say that for? Mm. Actually, well, we're just teaching. Eh? We've got a, a group of young men that's meeting in the church and we're working through a little course at the moment on, it's called Stewardship and Productivity. Yep. And um, it's, a, it's kind of different, but quite practical. And in a sense, you know, we've, we've seen like your whole life, um, you're given things. So you're entrusted just like the, the parable of the talents, you know, you're given something by God. And, and so even identifying in your life, you know, we've, uh, the time we have is not ours, it's God's time. So we're stewarding time. Uh, the life we live is, is not ours, we're living for Christ. Um, the, the resources we have, the things like a house or whatever, we, we have certain things that we yeah. own. We've got certain gifts and abilities um, that God has given us or that we've even worked hard to, to become proficient in. Um, but all these things are like um, things in which we live our life to the glory of God and how we marshal them and how we steward them um, is, is a big part of our, our life. You know, we've got like our relationships with our wife, our children, yeah. um, church family. Um, we've got responsibilities to be, um, yeah, honoring God and how we live. And, and we should be thinking about all those different aspects, how we can be. Which is where, yeah. which is where good training comes in because yeah. you, you don't get that just coming along and sitting in yeah. a pew on Sunday morning. Well, I guess that becomes, maybe we're starting to talk more about discipleship. And oh, so there's... Um, you said the word. Yeah. And so I guess you're going from, you know, uh, thinking of your conversion or your justification or, you know, you know, seeing who you are, your sin. Uh, you know, you, you confess Christ as Lord, yeah. I, will, I will follow him. And then I guess the natural picture in the Bible there is following Jesus. Well, that's the Great Commission, feet, isn't it? And the, the, and learning, the Mark version. Yeah. Is, is go and make disciples, mm. and not, so not just get converts. but Yeah, and so we're teaching yeah. people to obey everything that he commanded us and, and living lives that are pleasing to him. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I guess, a, another large part <laughs> yeah, of yeah. the Christian faith. And there's a huge difference between yeah. that. Um, my old landlord, uh, he actually puts it on the screen. Mm. He says, this is the Great Commission. You know, teach, them, teach them everything I've commanded them. Mm. Is that what it says? And the people go, yeah, he goes, that's not what the Bible says. Mm. It says, teach them to obey. Yeah. And so Which we, is we don't very, like very, so much, yeah. Because yeah. well, teaching to obey is mm. much different than teaching. Because if mm. I teach you everything Jesus, Jesus commanded, all you need to do is recite mm. back to me. Yeah. You know, and there you go. And he gets 95 out of 100, you know. Yeah. But teach you to obey that, that's yeah. a lot Five more. Five out of 100, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the onus is now on me to actually do something for you. Yeah. Um, and that's what, and again, I was talking to, to Matthew and Phil uh, in a previous podcast. We were talking about um, spiritual fathers mm. and the fact that there aren't that many around. Mm. Um, we're, we're all content to just sit there and be babes, that baby Christians. So, yeah. We don't want to step up. And I think there's a, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a way that you can have ambition in a godly way, I think, where you can um, strive to even, you know, I think um, Paul would teach Timothy to, to work hard so that he can present yep. himself as a workman who can rightly divide or faithfully divide the word of truth, uh, to be diligent in these things, to practice such things. Uh, and there's a sense in which I think we can have a, a, a godly ambition, not just, to, just for our own glory or whatever, but we, there's, there's a sense in which that's a good thing to be excelling and being excellent, like thinking of the the gifts that God's given us, we want to be improving them, not just burying yeah. them in the ground. Uh, we want to be thinking how we can um, be honing those skills that God's given us, how we can be using them more effectively for, for His glory. And um, I think we could be more ambitious as yeah. Christians I, without, without sitting it's, on the couch. You know, It's the His glory. Yeah. That's the part. I'm yeah. going to ask you two questions. You've got two other books here. Tell me about this one, The Making... The Making of an Atheist by James Spiegel. Yeah, that's a neat little book. So, I mean, um, you know, for anyone really um, to read that one, probably over the age of maybe 15, um, it's a great little book. So, I mean, it, it talks about, you know, there's been books published by people like Richard Dawkins, The yeah. God Delusion, that sort of thing. And, and so, in a sense, that, that book was written at that time in some ways an answer to that. But it argues on quite a biblical line that um, the thing that makes someone an atheist isn't the fact that they will say it's because of reason and science and fact. And he says, do you know what? There's a different thing in the human heart that causes someone to be an atheist. And it's, I think the little footnote there is, um, 
grab that. It's um, you, you read that. I haven't got my glasses on. How immorality immorality leads to unbelief. Oh yeah, I, d I don't want to be accountable to anyone for yeah. my sin. And yeah. so there's there's a yeah. there's a, a great quote there, and at the beginning of it, and there's a famous philosopher and atheist, and he's like. It's, he goes, it's not really that, you know, there's not information or facts or it's really, I don't want, I don't there, to want there to be a God. And so there's yeah. something wrong with our will. And, and so that's a great little book that um, shows that immorality, the desire to live a life um, not under Christ's reign or headship yeah. really is um, is really at the root of unbelief. And so it's not a practical thing. It's God has made himself yeah. known, you know. Yeah. So you, you, uh, you, yeah. you choose not to believe in God because you choose to. Not yeah. Because, yeah, it's a willful disobedience. Yeah. Yeah. So this one seems to be, uh, I would suggest, a little bit deeper. Pierced for our transgressions, rediscovering the glory of penal substitution. Yeah, that one is probably a little level up, but I, I wouldn't want to frighten people from it. So it is, it's about a particular doctrine, which is penal substitutionary atonement. And so that one is when you think about what Christ did for us on the cross, um, he, he suffered a, a penal substitutionary atonement. So penal means penalties. penalties. And so the wages of sin is death. So when you, God has his law and when that law is broken, there's a penalty uh, required to be paid for breaking the law. Um, so on the cross, Christ um, suffered the penalty that all those who believe in him deserve to suffer. And so the penalty is paid for um, and the substitutionary atonement, um, the word substitution, you can hear like a rugby player, one, one comes off and another yep. one comes on in his place. And so it's understanding what Christ did for us in a substitutionary sense. And so in um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, where it says, God made him, which is speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, speaking of his sinless life, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Um, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what happens on the cross is that God the Father punishes God the Son as if he committed every sin, as if he thought every foul thing that we did. Um, he, he treats Jesus, he punishes him yep. for that. And, and obviously the other half of salvation is not just that the penalty of the law is paid for in Christ, um, but that God's law demands that we actively live and do and obey the commandments. And so the law of God has that other aspect where we, we have to um, love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, our mind and strength, and we don't do that. And so as Christ living the perfect life, perfectly obeying and doing yep. that, his perfect life is um, given to us or credited to us. And so we'd say his righteousness is imputed to us and our sin is imputed to him. And so there's this penal substitutionary atonement, yeah. which is at the heart of the gospel, understanding what Christ has done, because there's different versions of the atonement. One would be that, that Jesus lived a life of example, and he does, but that's, that's not that's all he not does. Enough, yeah. It's yeah. not enough. So, I mean, if Jesus was a great, perfect guy, uh, lived a perfect moral life, and we should copy him, we should, but we're never going to be able to earn the righteousness yeah. or get to that holy standard. So unless there's a penal substitutionary atonement, um, we're, we're lacking in our understanding of the gospel. So, And, and again, that's a lacking in the understanding of the holiness of God. That is, that's a big okay. part of it, yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, we're going to give these away, all right, because uh, Andy's given them to us to give them away. So what I, the, I'll give you the three books again, and I'll tell you how you could win one. So the first one we talked about was this one, Sinners in the Hands of a Good God. Mm. which is uh, looking back to one of the very the most famous sermons uh, of all time. Mm. Uh, this is The Making of an Atheist by James Spiegel. And the third one was Pierced for Our Transgressions, uh, Rediscovering the Glory of Penal Substitution. So if you would like one of those books, you might have to um, scroll back a little bit on the video to remember which one. What I'd like you to do is, is tell me in the comments which mm. of those three books you would like and what it was that we talked about um, that has prompted you to make a difference in your life, all right? Not just what you liked, because we don't want, you don't want to hear what people liked about what we said, do you? No. No, I think no. you're getting we, Yeah, we want to hear about how that's going to make a difference in your life. Otherwise, what's the point of doing this? So tell me which book you would like, how you're going to change your life because of something that we've just talked about, and uh, out, of the, out of the comments, we'll choose somebody to receive those. No, Thank you so much for your time. It's been great. No, pleasure. Thanks for having me.